Hello and welcome to Hell No, a true crime podcast with your host, Lauren Lucio. Last week in my episode, I said it was going to be a day late because I got drunk and had a hangover, but... I ended up getting it out that day, so it actually wasn't late, so just disregard that. This week's episode was a case that I heard probably when I first got into true crime many years ago, and whenever I'm having a conversation with people about true crime, I this case usually comes up because it is, it is shocking. Uh, maybe you've heard of it. So this week's episode has largely been referred to in the media as the Twilight Murders when it happened. So it's possible you've heard it. It was very popular. There are many podcast episodes about this and there's even some documentaries on it. This case is a very haunting and you shall soon see why. 2016 Spalding, England, John Glebe High School. 14-year-old Kim Edwards was sent into a class for difficult teens as, you know, she was a difficult teen and her school thought the behavioral classes would benefit her. As Kim walks in, she notices a scene unfolding that she couldn't ignore. 14-year-old Lucas Markham was in a rage. He had picked up a chair and threw it across the class. To Kim, she saw an untamed beast and she fell in love. First sight, chair gets thrown, she's in love. They started talking and before along, they were in a passionate relationship. I mean, passionate. They were having sex. They were loving on each other. They were inseparable. Lucas, at this time, he was living with his aunt as his mother had died from leukemia, which, you know, understandably could make anyone mad at the world at such a young age. Lucas's aunt's house where he was living was, it was pretty close to Kim's house where Kim was living with her mother and sister. Kim's father had abandoned the family when Kim was young, so her biological father wasn't in the picture. Her mother remarried, but the man was violent towards Kim's mother, Elizabeth, and they had to escape to a woman's shelter at one point. That just doesn't seem like an ideal place for children, I could imagine, but it's got to be a lot better than staying in a home with a domestic abuser. So both Kim and Lucas didn't have ideal upbringings and felt the world didn't care about them and nobody loved them. Lucas's parents were also involved in domestic abuse to the point he was placed in foster care at a very young age and by the age of four is when his aunt adopted him and at age five was when his biological mother had died from leukemia. Kim's relationship with her mother it was exhausting they fought a lot when Kim was just five years old her mother called social services on herself actually because the weight was just too much to bear and the breaking point was when they were at a caravan park and Elizabeth had hit Kim and then Elizabeth called social services on her herself and Kim and her sister Katie were then placed in foster care for four months but then released back to Elizabeth back to their mother in an article written by metro.co.uk Mary Cottingham who is Elizabeth Edwards oldest daughter 
she really did not like one particular documentary which aired because to her they made it seem like Elizabeth had abandoned her daughters Kim and Katie you know when they were little and placed into foster care but Mary claims that that's not the case at all Elizabeth was a good mother she never abandoned them Mary was also angry that the documentary team never contacted her for information or an interview and she only knew uh, about this um, documentary when she saw an ad on TV for it before it was being aired so for Mary's sake I just wanted to add this information into my podcast I looked for a more in-depth article on this hoping maybe Mary had written a blog or got an article published in a newspaper or a magazine about her concerns about you know the what the documentary had left out or you know if they got some information wrong because she did call it rubbish so I was looking for more of her side on that but unfortunately I couldn't I couldn't find it basically Mary was just mad because the documentary portrayed Elizabeth as abandoning her children but she wants to make it very clear that Elizabeth would have never abandoned her children that wasn't the case at all so I just want to add that in by 2016 Kim's mother 49 year old Elizabeth Edwards was working as a dinner lady in a school cafeteria as well as volunteering at her church and at a local charity shop so she was in and amongst the community Kim is 14 years old at this at this time in 2016 and her little sister Katie is 13 years old. Katie was seen by Kim as being the favorite and getting more than her from her mother which you know Kim had a hard time dealing with but perhaps the two just had different kinds of relationships with Elizabeth. I'm not sure I don't know the dynamics there but that does kind of play into what we're gonna hear later. Elizabeth had even told Kim that you know she doesn't favor one of them more than her, more than the other and she doesn't love one of them more than the other but Kim never believed her. At this time Kim and Lucas are they're in their full-on relationship. The two are almost inseparable. They're having sex and at school they are constantly touching, hugging, kissing. Lucas had gone Lucas had even gone to Kim's house and Elizabeth wasn't very happy about this relationship. She thought it was moving too quickly. She thought it was too intense. You know, thought maybe it was unhealthy. And yeah, it's possible that she saw, you know, some signs of mistakes maybe she had made in in the past kim was told to stop seeing lucas to end the relationship by elizabeth elizabeth had even contacted the school and was like you know i don't really want them around each other so something happened there and kim had stopped visiting lucas as much in the behavioral classes so I'm not sure if she was pulled out of that class or if she was just in it for like a little while or if she kind of floated in between. I'm not really sure but she was in other classes now and she wasn't visiting Lucas in the behavioral classes and this made Lucas mad. By March 2016 just one month after Elizabeth told Kim to stop seeing Lucas Kim had tried to kill herself by eating a lot of painkillers but the hospital was able to save her and I read in court documents that it was Lucas who had notified EMTs. After this, Kim was seeing a psychiatrist. Kim said her life was like a living, walking hell because she couldn't see Lucas. 
Um, it was all because her, you know, she couldn't have this relationship with him. Kim also said that she hated her mother for keeping them apart, for ending that relationship. Elizabeth had her hands full, but she was taking all the correct steps and she was still loving Kim. She wasn't pushing her away. And after Kim's suicide attempt, Kim had posted this like gloomy, unsmiling, dramatic selfie on Facebook. And Elizabeth commented, where's your beautiful smile? To which Kim commented, it disappeared. Elizabeth then asks, why? Kim responds, I don't know. This shows Elizabeth was trying, you know, she was trying to connect with Kim and she was even even concerned about you know this gloomy photo like what's going on in her life she's tried to kill herself but you know she didn't seem very open to talking to her mother about this of course elizabeth was concerned it's her mother her daughter just tried to kill herself it's a terrible situation once kim gets out of the hospital her and lucas decide nothing can keep them apart anymore and them being together is the only thing they want so they pack up and they run away together they get a tent a bag of food you know some clothes they get on their bicycles they made it to a nearby town and they set up camp in the bush together and they remained there for five days before police finally found them and brought them home Kim and Lucas barricaded themselves into Lucas's room, but eventually Kim had to leave the room to go back to her house to get her birth control pills. They were in her room, so she was like, yep, gotta get those. So the two left through Lucas's window. When Kim arrived home, the room she shared with her sister Katie was devoid of all of her possessions. Her mother had either her mother had either removed them from the room or given them to Katie. And to Kim, this would have stung because she already felt like Katie was the favorite and now she comes home and all of a sudden Katie's, you know, wearing her clothes or got some of her possessions that her mother had given her. So this is, uh, this was later brought up in court as kind of a tipping point for the jealousy that Kim had felt for Katie. She already thought her mother loved Katie more and, you know, and actually friends in a documentary did say that Katie was more popular than Kim and she was more well-liked and and well-rounded and did have a better relationship with her mother so you can see where Kim's jealousy would come from teen girls generally hate when siblings take their stuff so to have your mother give it to your sibling who that's war in a teenage girl's eyes the hatred for Elizabeth had been growing in Kim and Lucas and now it was at a boiling point elizabeth was trying to save her daughter from a potentially domestic abusive relationship you know a controlling you know she we don't really know where it was going but you know these are the vibes that elizabeth was getting she asked him to slow it down things just got even more heated because now it was like this you know forbade is that the word forbade forbidden love of you know kim and lucas so Kim and Lucas, they saw Elizabeth as the enemy. They saw her as trying to take away the one thing that loved them. Lucas had jokingly said, let's kill your mother. And Kim responded like, what? You know, and then she realized that Lucas was being serious. And then she got serious and she was like, yeah, let's kill her. 
That's when the two started planning. Lucas had been intrigued by a murder that had happened in the area years earlier. His friend's father had been murdered by a group of teens that were vandalizing his property. And the father had gone out to confront the teens holding a metal bar. And the teens beat the man to death. But what's even more wild, like that's wild, that's disturbing. That's like children of the corn stuff. But the teens were caught but they were never charged for the murder. Well, I don't know if they were ever charged, but they were never fully sentenced for the murder. And I'm pretty sure they were just like got off scot-free. I think maybe a couple of them got like a vandalism thing and then the rest got like nil, nothing, gone. See you later. Probably not even anything on their record. Lucas had been asking his friend a lot of questions about his father's murder like about the court process and how the teens were able to be let off on murder charges he seemed to be quite infatuated with this lucas and kim they had been sneaking around at night to see each other and they were planning horrific unthinkable acts the plan they came up with was that lucas would steal knives from his aunt's house go to Kim's house at nighttime, well, like walk there. And Kim, he would knock on Kim's bedroom window, the, the bedroom that she shared with Katie. Kim would open, go to the bathroom window, let him in through there. Then Lucas would stab Elizabeth while she slept. Even more specific, they had an even more specific plan than this. They said stab her in the voice box so she couldn't scream, so in the throat. Then Kim would do the same, but to her little sister Katie. Just a reminder that these kids are only 14 fucking years old and this is their plan. Happy with their plan, Lucas gets ready. And his first attempt is a Monday night in April of 2016. But when Lucas gets to Kim's window and knocks, she's asleep. She fell asleep the night she was planning to kill her family. Wow, that is just so terrifying. This girl's brain is... Wow, so terrifying. Also, keep in mind, she is still sharing a room with her sister. So unknowingly, her sister is sleeping like right near, right beside the person who is plotting her grisly death. That Monday night, the family are safe and they live to see another day because Kim fell asleep. The next day, Tuesday, Kim and Lucas meet at McDonald's after school. And Lucas asks Kim multiple times, are you sure you want to kill your family? And Kim says, yes, she, she is sure. So they go over the plan again. That night, he goes back to Kim's house and knocks on her window. But again, she fell asleep again. And she doesn't respond to the knocks to let him in. So that's two nights in a row now. Monday, Tuesday night, Lucas shows up. You know, he psyched himself up. He's made the 30-minute walk one way with four big knives in his bag totally ready to murder in a very intimate way stabbing is very up close and personal just to realize that kim has fallen asleep that just shows how calm she is about all this or either she doesn't understand the weight of the situation or she fully understands and she is just that chill about murdering her family which is terrifying that's how little anxiety she has about this not to mention the lack of guilt like even planning to kill your family you think you would feel guilty about but no not kim so wednesday rolls around 
they meet at McDonald's after school again and they confirm the plan again. And that night he does the same as the two nights before, packs four large kitchen knives, wraps them up in a change of clothes, puts them in his backpack, walks the half hour to Kim's, knocks on her window, but this time she's awake. Kim, she looks out the window, she makes eye contact with Lucas and Lucas gives her two thumbs up like 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 they're hey let's go to this keg party we're sneaking out for or something but no no they were not sneaking out to a keg party they were sneaking in for a bloodbath kim meets lucas at the bathroom window and lets him in he presents her with the large knives and later fingerprints shows that she had held one possibly while contemplating the murder of her little sister who slept in the next room They go over the plan again, and Lucas takes a knife and creeps into Elizabeth's room. Elizabeth was sleeping on her side, and Lucas creeps up to her and begins stabbing her in the neck. And then he just keeps stabbing. The the coroner report will eventually say she was stabbed in the neck twice, once in the shoulder, and that Elizabeth must have woken up because the other five stab wounds were in her hands as if she had woken up and put her hands up to defend herself so eight times total he then put a pillow over her face until she stopped moving so he stabbed her eight times then put a pillow over her face and then kim says that she could hear all this happening and she wants to make sure lucas is okay while he is murdering her mother he she wants to make sure he's okay while murdering her mother i just want to say that one more time because it's so fucked up so she goes in to you know check at all of the you know check in on all of this unraveling and she can see that he is smothering her mother with the the pillow and he's putting all of his weight on it and the room is dark and kim grabs what she thought was lucas's hand but it was actually her mother's hand reaching out for help and when kim realized it was her mother's hand she immediately pulls her hand away like oh no i don't want to touch your hand how do we know this well we know this because kim later tells police the story herself in detail very calmly it's terrifying But we will get to that later. Now it's time for Kim to kill Katie, but she can't go through with it. So Lucas goes into Katie's room where she is asleep. The police report says that she may have woken up as well, just given the position of her body that she was found in. So she's asleep, somehow, you know, possibly wakes up during the attack. And Lucas later tells police that he went into Katie's room, stabbed Katie or the mattress. He couldn't really tell, then smothered her with a pillow. When Katie was being murdered, Kim said that Katie tried to say, I can't breathe, but got out, I can't, and then died. She said there was a lot of gurgling sounds as well. So Kim can hear her sister being brutally stabbed to death, you know, the last bits of life coming out of her uh she can hear her say i can't and then like gurgling like blood gurgling it's just absolutely absolutely terrifying that she could watch this happen to her sister 
yeah he had also smothered her with the pillow as well so stabbed her and the and the coroner report the coroner report will later tell that she was stabbed twice in the neck and then smothered with the pillow elizabeth and katie they were now dead and kim and lucas were stripping down getting nude and bathing together to wash away the blood because they didn't like the smell of blood and also kim says they don't want their dog to smell the blood which i can't make any sense of the two had also prepared to kill themselves but never made any attempt except for gathering painkillers and writing a suicide note and this suicide note basically says fuck you world cremate us and spread our ashes at our special place we don't give a fuck anymore that was like the gist of it i think i like summarized that there might be a few more words but it was very simple very dramatic but they don't kill themselves instead kim goes into the room where her sister was brutally murdered there would have been blood everywhere she takes her mattress the one that katie wasn't killed on she takes her mattress and she drags it down the stairs and puts it in the living room puts it on the floor and they eat cake they have sex they drink they binge watch several twilight movies they watch tv oh yeah and the twi- you know because they had binge watched several twilight movies that's how this murder got its name the twilight killings the twilight murders because they watch twilight so i don't know anything about those movies i don't know which ones they watched i don't even know how many there are but you know lucas and kim do the two chill in this house for up to 36 hours 36 hours on a mattress on the floor of the living room having sex cuddling eating junk food while the grisly scene upstairs just lies in wait to be discovered they made no attempt to get rid of the bodies they made no attempt to clean the house they were just lying and waiting for their best days to be behind them i guess that house would have smelled so bad and they had a family dog trapped in there with them the day after the murders it was a thursday so wednesday night the murders happened thursday rolls around people notice elizabeth katie and kim aren't at work or school lucas's aunt also reports him missing eventually lucas's aunt went to the house twice and knocked on the door and nobody answered then police eventually gain entry to the edwards home after you know nobody was answering the phone calls or the door so police enter the home to find kim and lucas chilling in the living room police ask him police ask kim where's your mother kim says upstairs police have no idea what they are about to find and they were probably confused by the scene and before going up the stairs they asked if her mother was okay and lucas says why don't you go and see like looks i'm dead in the eye why don't you go and see police are like i will go and see okay police find elizabeth first then katie kim and lucas are arrested when being questioned by investigators kim is asked how she felt about it and she says she's okay with it it happened quickly not like torture or anything and kim showed zero remorse like if you could show less than zero remorse this is what she was showing kim says she never got along with her mom and that katie was the favorite and that she's happy her mother is dead because now her mom doesn't have to worry about her 
She also says now her sister doesn't have to go through the heartbreak of losing her mother. So in Kim's mind, she's done them a favor. So not only like zero remorse, but actually she's like, I have no remorse. Actually, I'm happy and I did them a favor is, you know, is basically what she's saying there. When asked why she couldn't kill her sister, because they were like, well, you know, Lucas killed both of them and she's like yeah I think they went through the whole plan like yeah I was supposed to kill my sister Lucas was supposed to kill my mother Lucas ended up killing both and they're like well why couldn't you kill your sister and she says I couldn't take away her hopes and dreams what this is so messed up basically Kim's thinking was not like oh my family will be better off without me so I'm gonna kill myself but instead she was like do you know what I'm such a pain to my family they will be better off dead so they don't have to deal with me which is very twisted and I've gotta say I've never come across that before um, in a case Lucas eventually told police everything you know he was pretty tight-lipped at first but then he you know they got it out of him he's 14 there was a ton of evidence wasn't going to be too hard to pull the story out of him and he told police everything if you know and if I had access to those interviews with Kim and Lucas I would have watched every second of it but I couldn't find them maybe because they were you know under the age of 18 or juveniles that doesn't you don't get full access I did however find the court records which we will go over later kim told the psychologist that she didn't feel anything for her mother and she's glad she's dead that's how vicious she is she is vicious so they're too young to be diagnosed as psychopaths probably because the frontal lobe hasn't fully developed so you can't get an accurate diagnosis out of that but you know i don't know i feel like that's pretty psychopathic tendencies lucas seemed you know he seemed to be used as a pawn in kim's game because kim didn't care about lucas after the arrest you know she used him to kill her family and then as soon as they were arrested i think she actually said like i don't care what he gets like she zero fucks given about him even so lucas and kim they were both charged with murder So now I'm going to read some stuff I found out of a court record for the appeal when they had both Kim and Lucas analyzed by psychologists. Quote, a psychiatrist report by Dr. Oliver White dated 15th of August 2016 concluded that Lucas Markham was not then suffering either from a severe or enduring mental illness or from a depressive episode. Although his mood instability was an important feature of his emerging personality structure, he recounted the history of his experiences of domestic violence between his parents and the multiple different foster care placements which flowed from the breakdown of their relationship, culminating in his living with his aunt from the age of four or five years which around the time was when his mother died of cancer. He had a long-standing difficult relationship with his father, which appeared to have been highly influenced by his father's drinking, resulting in a lack of care supervision and nurturing to the children. A consequence of his experiences during his childhood was that he had lacked the opportunity to develop skills in self-regulations of his own emotions. It was assessed that his specific emerging personality traits were in the domains of emotionally unstable 
and dissocial personality disorder. But due to his age, he fell short of a, of a formal diagnosis of a personality disorder. Dr. White assessed Lucas Markham as a high risk of continuing his trajectory with regards to his personal development, such that formal diagnosis of personality disorder was likely when he became an adult. In addition, a report dated September 5th, 2016, Dr. Tracy King, a psychologist, concluded that there were no concerns regarding his intellectual functioning, such that might have led to a greater tendency to be influenced by others or not to understand consequences of his actions, unquote. So that's straight from a court record, um, saying that he was definitely capable of knowing what he was doing and that his mental health yeah it wasn't perfect but also there was nothing there that you know he could blame on diminished responsibility also in the court records it says quote it was assessed that within the community lucas markham would present a high risk of causing serious harm of reoffending and of exhibiting further violent behavior there were a limited number of internal protective factors towards further offending but the author requested that the court recognize that the childhood traumas of experienced domestic violence inconsistent care and bereavement while the experience and the impact that they had on his psychological development did not amount to a defense unquote and then i have another paragraph here from the court records about lucas markham quote at the time of the murders lucas markham was 14 years and eight months old and of previous good character a pre-sentence report revealed that he fully intended to kill both victims and that his relationship with kim edwards was clearly a critical factor he described that upon um, beginning his relationship with her he felt needed and wanted which in turn generated a need for him to protect her from any perceived threats unquote And then in another paragraph of the same court record, it said that it was, quote, it was noted that there had previously been a number of of concerns linked to his use of violence and aggression. He would punch and headbutt walls and doors within the family home causing damage, unquote. The court record also says, quote, When committing the murder, he had a sense of calmness and happiness surrounding the belief that he was protecting Kim Edwards. When questioned regarding his feelings and thought about his actions after he had time to reflect on them, he indicated limited remorse. He continued to present as disconnected from his actions. He demonstrated no empathy towards the victim's family, presenting as hostile towards some of them. Unquote. AKA, he didn't give a fuck. So this is just showing us that, yeah, he was aggressive. He was violent. He did pose a threat to society, but he was fully capable of accepting all responsibility and that he wasn't insane at the time. He knew what he was doing. He knew the consequences. He was, you know, there was, yeah, basically they couldn't, they couldn't get manslaughter because of the diminished responsibility from what these um, psychologists were saying. So let's hear what the psychologists said when they assessed Kim. So again, this is from the court records about Kim Edwards. Quote, 
Psychiatric evidence was advanced in support of the partial defense of diminished responsibility. In reports dated 26 August 2016 and 5th of October 2016, which referred to the report of the psychologist Dr. Darren Spooner, dated December 23, 2014, prepared for family proceedings which described the adverse family circumstances that she had endured, including domestic violence that she had witnessed and to which she had been subject. It was concluded that at the time of the offense, Kim Edwards had developed an adjustment disorder against a background of severe attachment problems due to multiple stressors within a short space of time, aggravated by her relationship with Lucas. The final stressor was when she found that her belongings had been either thrown away or given to her sister, unquote. And then in another paragraph here, it says, quote, in response, the Crown sought the assistance of Dr. Philip Joseph, who, in a report dated 22nd September 2016, concluded that Kim Edwards was not suffering from an abnormality of mental functioning caused by a recognized medical condition and therefore did not have the defense to murder of manslaughter on the grounds of diminished responsibility, unquote. And then one more paragraph I'd like to read out of the uh, court document about Kim Edwards is, quote, Kim Edwards presented as calm and friendly, but she had difficulty with regulating her emotions. She clearly lacked empathy towards her victims, brackets, in respect of whom the evidence suggested that she had a deep hatred, but was able to recognize the trauma they would have gone through. She seemed to enjoy the attention that she was receiving from a number of professionals and had suggested in the future writing a book of her life. This suggested that she had an inappropriate level of self-esteem and self-importance and also felt a sense of justification in the harm that she caused to her mother and sister, who she felt had wronged her. She presented as a high risk of serious harm within the community due to the nature, planning, and lack of remorse for the index offense. There was a potential for her to plan and carry out future harm if she were to struggle with certain aspects of her life, unquote. So Kim, being interrogated over the murder of her mother and sister, is like, I should write a book about my life. That is just so messed up. They were both charged with murder to which Lucas pled guilty to. Kim pled not guilty. She blamed it on Lucas saying he controlled her and that she's mentally unwell. And you know, then we get into the um, forensic psychologist who evaluated Kim and concluded that Kim helped plan the murder and she was not controlled by Lucas at all. Basically, Kim had no mental illness to, you know, blame on murder. She wasn't she wasn't insane. She knew exactly what she was doing. She knew the outcomes and she was still showing zero remorse. Kim was found guilty of first degree murder. Both Lucas and Kim were sentenced to life in prison. Then they appealed. Then the appeal was still life in prison, but with a minimum of 17 years before they could be paroled, which means they could be released from prison and they could be free and living amongst society by the time they are 33 years old, young enough to still live a full life, to do this again, to do God knows what, if they get out on parole in 2033, that is. 
that's, by the way, that's only 11 years away. And of course, I believe in rehabilitation. It's it's always a possibility, but it's not a guarantee. Kim and Lucas were the youngest in England to co- ever commit a double murder. So this is why this case was so big. They dubbed it the Twilight Murders. And yeah, it was all over the news. It was everywhere. It's absolutely terrifying. Two teens could carry out this horrific act, then eat, drink, have sex, watch movies for days with their victims' bodies right above them. And it's not even like these victims were strangers. It was her own mother and little sister. And then to still have no remorse or guilt and to think of it, you know, as doing them a favor, it just blows my mind. And it kind of reminds me of that case that I covered a while ago, the MySpace murder, you haven't listened to that maybe listen to that after this and, and you'll see why I think they're similar I will link all my source information in my show notes of course like I always do and that concludes this week's case so be sure to give me a five-star rating on Spotify follow the hell no a true crime podcast Instagram to see photos pertaining to this case to Lucas and Kim I say hell no Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye.